This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And I suck you up and I spit you out and I play with your babies till you scream Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Brenda Elsie, an associate professor of history at Hofstra on Long Island, Shreen Ahmed, a writer, public speaker, and sports activist in Toronto, and Lindsay Gibbs, a reporter at Think Progress in Washington, D.C. Amira Rose Davis has been ill with the flu or bronchitis or something equally terrible for the last couple of weeks. So once again, she can't join us today. We hope that she feels better soon. We love you, Amira. First things first, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you to our patrons who supported this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign, Make Burn It All Down Possible. Thank you. If you would like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com slash burn it all down for as little as $2 per month. You can access exclusives like an extra Patreon only segment or a monthly newsletter. On today's show, we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed's settlement with the NFL and then have a larger discussion about the effect Kaepernick's protest continues to have. Then Shereen interviews America Ninja Warrior. That's so fun to say. Shereen interviews America Ninja Warrior and climbing badass Megan Martin. And of course, we'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shout outs to women who deserve shout outs, and telling you what is good in our world. But first, before we get into all of that, I have I'm news. I'm so excited. Y'all, I have <laughs> news. So I drew the lucky straw this week <laughs> because I am leading this episode. It is finally time for us to make this announcement. So I get to do it. Here it goes. We are so excited to announce that Burn It All Down, your favorite feminist sports podcast, will be recording a live episode in front of an audience as part of the Critical Sport Community's New Directions in Sports Scholarship, Journalism, and Activism Symposium, being jointly hosted by Hofstra and Columbia on March 7th and 8th. Our specific recording will take place on Friday... March 8th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Columbia in New York City at the Stabile Student Center. We are coming to you live, baby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> New York Yay! City. New York City. All right, Brenda, will you please tell us more about this symposium that we're going to be a part of? Right. Okay. So it starts on Thursday and it's at Hofstra for Thursday, March 7th. And everyone's welcome. It's very open to the public. And there's the day is divided into one panel that's going to talk about gender, sexuality, is sexism in sport. And then there's another one a bit later in the day on sport and black liberation movements. And I should say that, so very apropos of this conversation today, <laughs> I should say that I'm organizing it with Professor Frank Goridi, who, if you don't know his work, 
he's amazing and and on on Twitter and he works on race and sport in the US but also the the Caribbean and so we organized this for Thursday at Hofstra and then we're going to take the trip into Manhattan to visit Columbia Ooh, yay. yay yay we've never all been together <laughs> never so <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> Ever. So it's really thrilling. And there's going to be Burn It All Down. And it's a, a two-hour block because we're going to do the show. <laughs> and then also we're going to take comments from the audience and questions. And we can say more about the structure of it. But it's it's a little bit longer because we do hope to have interaction and an audience. So come and meet come, us in, come, in come, person. Come. We might have a look under your seat moment. No. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Brenda, stop promising things. <laughs> no. I said May. I said May. May. And I didn't say what would be under there. It might just be old gum. But, um, but, but anyway. And then after there's an evening event, which everyone is also very welcome to at the Presidential Ballroom at Columbia University, where myself and Professor Goritti will interview and talk with Philadelphia Eagles, Michael Bennett. And yes, about protest in the NFL and also what makes white people uncomfortable, which is the amazing title of his amazing book that he wrote with Dave Zirin. So Dave will also be there to sort of answer questions and talk about the book and things like that. So yeah. So So it's a burn it all down shot with a Michael Bennett chaser for everyone on Friday, March 8th. That's amazing. (laughs) You get the hard stuff We are essentially really the opening act for Michael Bennett is (laughs) what is happening here. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. And in case anybody was wondering, this is the exciting news that I've had for a month and keep saying (laughs) in what's good that I couldn't share. This is that news. So there it is. Now everyone knows. I just want to say again. Friday, March 8th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Columbia's Stabile Student Center in New York City. Live, burn it all down. We hope everyone who's in New York City can make it. Yeah. Uh, we know it, it's during Brenda work said. hours, but like... I know. We'll write you a note. Get out <laughs> early. <laughs> this is an excused absence. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, no, but seriously, like, we can't wait, and we will spend time with you. Like, we want to hang out a little bit. I think there's a little bit of time between this and the symposium. But anyways, we cannot wait to see you all. It's International Women's yep. Day that yep. day there as well. Go. So yep. what a there you wonderful... Go absolutely wonderful way to get out of work early and come and hang out with us your favorite feminist sports podcast perfect and now on to the show Lindsay, can you tell us about colin kaepernick and eric reed's settlement with the nfl I will tell you what I know, Jess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so on Friday afternoon, the NFL and a lawyer for Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed released a brief joint statement announcing that the two parties have reached a, a settlement in Kaepernick and Reed's collusion lawsuit against the league. Here is the full statement, which is the extent of the official <laughs> word we know says, quote, in the past several months, counsel for Mr. Kaepernick and Mr. Reed have engaged in an ongoing dialogue with representatives of the NFL. As a result of those discussions, the parties have decided to resolve the pending grievances. The resolution of this matter is subject to confidentiality agreement, so there will be no further comment by any party. Let's take this back a little bit to where this all started. So this all began in the fall of 2016 during the NFL preseason when Colin Kaepernick was a San Francisco 49ers quarterback. He was still coming off of injury 
And he remained seated during the national anthem for during a preseason game. His protest wasn't even noticed for a week. It was noticed the following week. And after he talked to the media, he said that it was very clearly a protest against police brutality and systemic racism. He has never, ever wavered from what the protest is about, what the movement is about. Very quickly, his teammate, Eric Reed began kneeling next to him. They changed their protest from sitting during the anthem to kneeling during the anthem after discussing with some members of the U.S. military, current and former, and trying to make it slightly more respectful to the people who were fighting in the military to kind of show that this wasn't against them, but this was more against the systemic racism that sometimes our flag represents and, you know, that has been drenched in the history of the United States and that is continuing to this day. Of course, the movement grew steam. Players across the league, players across the world began to take a knee during the anthem. It sparked discussions, local communities, and on a national level where it became an issue in the presidential race. And of course, once Trump became president, he started using this as a way to attack black people uh, for not being respectful, which is something that Trump wants to do. We're going to have the bigger picture conversation in a little bit. So I will I will pause myself. Where the lawsuit came in is after Kaepernick parted ways the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the 2016-2017 season. Nobody signed him. He remained unsigned for the past two years. He is a he is a Super Bowl quarterback. He has been in a in the Super Bowl. He is in great shape by all accounts, incredibly healthy. He's just 31 years old, which means he was 29 when all of this started in the prime of his career. And yet team after team who desperately needed quarterbacks <laughs> to be able to help them mm-hmm. refused to sign him. So in 2017, Kaepernick decided to sue the NFL for collusion. He said that the the team owners and the league itself were conspiring to keep him out of the league because of the protest. Now, Eric Reed joined this lawsuit the following year. Reed's contract with the San Francisco 49ers lasted through the 2017 season. So he remained employed there and he continued to take a knee. But once he got into free agency, even though he was a top safety in the league, no team signed him until a month into the 2018 NFL season when the Carolina Panthers signed him. He has since signed a contract, a three-year contract with the Carolina Panthers. He's continued to take a knee. But the fact that he was unemployed for that long of a time made him join this lawsuit. So this is what we know. We know that they deposed Roger Goodell. We know that they deposed a lot of NFL owners. And we. it seems that the NFL itself was scared <laughs> of what was about to come out. Mark Garagos, the lawyer for Kaepernick and Reed, had said as early as the beginning of February that he believed this uh, – it was definitely going to trial and the trial was going to be probably – late March or early April. So the trial was getting close. That being said, the settlement, it's complicated. I think a lot of us were excited to see this go to trial, to actually see these depositions. So I want to ask you all, what what do you think? Where, where are your feelings? Is this a win for Kaepernick? Is this a win for the NFL? Or is talking about it in win-loss uh, <laughs> words, binaries, problematic? <laughs> I do think it's hard 
to escape the win-loss because it's a court case. It's a suit. The entire premise of it is that someone's going to win or lose. So I see why that is where the discussion went. And I will say, I think this is super complicated to talk about because I mean, I have a lot of feelings. Like, I was disappointed, I will say, when I heard that they had settled because I, too, like, so many people wanted it to go to trial. Like, I did want the airing of the NFL's laundry in in some public way, and I do feel like that has been lost here. I don't know. I, you know, and this is also complicated because the only, the idea that this is a loss at all for like Kaepernick or Reed, I think is is wrong. We live in a capitalistic society and money is how we punish people <laughs> or how we win things. And so certainly in that way, people are speculating huge numbers for Kaepernick and Reed with money. I also find that difficult. The NFL has so much money that the idea, I think, okay, I'm rambling. What I want to say is that I, I'm sad at all that the NFL wins. I think is where it, I they, they did win. The NFL didn't want this to go to trial. They've hated this case from the beginning. They've been fearful of it. Them settling is a win, even if it's also a win on the other side for Kaepernick and Reed. And I think the NFL winning at all is the pill that's really hard for me to swallow. And I keep thinking, I saw a tweet from Jamal Smith and I can't, I don't have the quote here, but he talked about deterrence. And I thought that was really good. Like, Will this deter the NFL from encroaching on the rights of their players? Will this deter the NFL from collusion in the future? It's really hard for me to say yes to either of those questions. So what, you know, as far as the league goes and its relationship with its players, what has changed here? I don't, I honestly don't really know. Shireen. Thanks, Jess. I like what you said about the NFL having to pay because this is very much this capitalist system and the way that people are you know, sort of, they atone is through money. But I do like what LeBron said. I really hope Cap gets a lot of money here, a lot of money either to put towards causes that help support things to break down, Mm -hmm. you know, systemic racism, which he's done. But also for me at the end of the day, and I'm, I remiss Amira in this discussion. I really wish she wasn't feeling so terrible, but just the idea of what his goals are, like, my personal thing is I too have a lot of feelings are how does, I would love to know how he feels. Yeah. I, I can't wait for the day that he sits down with somebody. God, wouldn't it be so great if one of us had that interview. And come on, Colin. Sit down, come on to come burn on it all cap, down. <laughs> come on and burn it all down and tell us how he feels. Like I want, he wants to play in the NFL. So I'm actually, I love this money. I, I think it's great if it's good for him, but I want him to play again because that's where he said so many times. That's what he wants to do. So my thing is that I want him, he's got this, he and Eric Reed have this money, but I also want them to play again. That's what, for me, that would be an ultimate win that not only did he make the NFL pay, but they hired him again. So for me, that would be the ultimate. So I'm still looking forward to that. That's a really good point, Shereen. Brenda? I think we need to be really attentive to how, like, in the next couple of weeks, the language around this swirls, you know, and who to decide mm-hmm. if the NFL really wins anything or not is that's the long game. And you know, right. is going to be the way that this gets cast 
Of course, as a scholar, I'm so disappointed about all that research and probably reporters. I mean, reporters much more so even than me. But I'm so bummed out that we won't get to like a window into their shady ass financial dealings because you know how gross they are. And you know how gross those texts must be. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, oh. So, you know, anyway, but just on uh, one thing that interested me that Shereen was saying that she liked to LeBron's reaction, and I did too. I watched that press conference where they asked him about Kaepernick, and the interesting thing is he said, I'm so happy for him that he won his case. So he, he actually didn't even say settle. And I think there's something really interesting about how it's going to be phrased in the future. You know what I mean? Like who words that surround the case and things. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point too. (laughs) Y'all are so smart. Okay. Lindsay. Yeah. I think my first reaction was the disappointment that it wasn't going to trial. Cause okay. So (laughs) little backstory, Mark Garagos, I know I keep saying that differently every time. I apologize. Uh, He has a podcast with Adam Carolla. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's uh, a lot. (laughs) I have forced myself to listen to this podcast multiple times in order to get updates on the Kaepernick situation. So I had just listened to his latest podcast at the beginning of last week where he said that that it was important that that he felt that it was going to trial within 45 days. He said, we have a winning hand. I mean, he was so confident about the amount of evidence that they had against the NFL. And so when I first heard that they settled, I was was disappointed. But the more I think about it, the more I realized to get the case to this point, to get these people in depositions, they reacted in this settlement from a place of fear and not from a place of power. And that in itself is a win, you know, yeah. uh, for Kaepernick, for Eric Reed, And now they can move on because while it does seem that they had a ridiculous amount of evidence to prove their case, the law wasn't necessarily on their side in this one. The burden of proof to prove collusion is incredibly high. From every you know legal person I've talked to, it is a very, very high bar to cross. So it is possible that they had enough evidence to do that. They certainly seemed confident, but it wasn't a guarantee. It would have still been a hold your breath type of situation. So if, if they're happy, and from all accounts, it seems like the amount of money that the NFL was willing to to offer here was enough to be a deterrent <laughs> in the future to make things um, upset. The NFL doesn't settle these cases. If you've seen anything with Ezekiel Elliott, with Tom Brady, with these court cases, they've them till the bitter end, right? They do not hmm. settle. Okay. So I think that's another good example that this could be, you know, a win for Kaepernick and for Reed. And like Shireen said, hopefully the next step is getting Colin Kaepernick back on the field. His lawyer was on CNN last night saying that he thinks the Carolina Panthers or the New England Patriots would be good destinations for him. As a Panthers fan, I might have started crying when I heard that. (laughs) Like happy tears. (laughs) And of course, that would reunite him with Eric Reed. I still think it's a long shot if his lawyer has said many times throughout this case that he thinks Colin is like 10 days away from getting a contract. So I do hold my breath a little bit there, but let's let's hope because like Shireen says, that does seem to be the outcome that he wants. Shireen, now that we've covered the case and the settlement, will you get us started on the larger impact that Kaepernick's protests continue to have? 
Absolutely. Thanks, Jess. As already mentioned, it was September 2016 when Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick were seen in a preseason game choosing to kneel. Now, we were going to talk about the impact outside the case itself, the activism, its ripple, and what does this settlement or win mean for this type of work. And we're going to look at the cap effect, essentially. And I'm going to take us back to September 2017. And in a very detailed and interactive piece, Lindsay our Lindsay Gibbs, and the Think Progress team put together a lot of information that actually compiled, and we'll link it to the show notes, that over 3,500 people had joined in this movement protest against police brutality and systemic racism. Now, I think that I want to at this point quote sociologist Dr. Harry Edwards in a, that he said in a USA Today piece, people wanted to make it about a flag or support for our soldiers, but it's about the systemic murders under the cover of the badge where nobody is charged or even prosecuted, end quote. And I think that's really important because we have to establish that a lot of what ended up coming out of this were vacuous debates about patriotism, about support for troops, et cetera, et cetera. It really wasn't like that. This was a way for the you know, MAGA supporters and whatnot to conflate what was really happening here. And um, never mind that Colin Kaepernick had specified that the actual physical gesture and act of kneeling was something he got while speaking to a vet. And that was considered one of the most respectful gestures. So, I mean, I think that's something we have to keep in mind, something that also haters of Cap won't ever adhere to. So this is really important. One of the things that we're going to talk about particularly, and I'd like to, you know, get everyone's opinion, was what were the literally the effects of what capped it. And one of the things that I want to jump into, because I think this <laughs> is one of the fun stories that gave me life, was there was a, and I was on um, NPR's Only a Game, and we touched on this topic because it's the one that I was really happy about. A store owner in Colorado Springs named Stephen Martin actually shut down his store because he had decided that after Nike had presented Colin Kaepernick as the face of their new ad campaign, he pulled every single Nike item <laughs> off the stores of his, <laughs> off the shelves pants. of his store. <laughs> and so you're sitting there... <laughs> I, it's so bizarre. And then he's even quoted as saying, you know, a sports store without Nike is like a gas station without gas. Well, a gas station without gas, Mr. Martin, doesn't actually happen. Just a station. Just a station. It's just a station. And so you're kind of sitting there going, like, why did he think this is a great idea? And in there was a couple pieces. Shalise Munza Young, who's a friend of mine, had written a piece for Yahoo about it. And her piece was very different surprise, surprise, and the Washington Post piece that came out about it, because the Washington Post piece profiled how he was a huge military supporter and was sort of like, you know, I was okay with, and it details how he was understood the killings of innocent, unarmed black men that were caught on film, but he doesn't understand Cap. And what Mr. Martin fails mm. to realize <laughs> is that the two are absolutely correlated, but he doesn't see that. He took it as an affront to the military that he is very proud of and took all these photos and asked the people in his community to send photos of people in the military and glue them to a wall. So my suggestion to Mr. Martin is, and first of all, I'm very sad that 
you know, you took steps to make your business fail, but maybe you should think about curating art exhibits or I don't know, like maybe sports goods. If you're not like, what did he have in there anyway? Like, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm an Adidas fan. So I'm like, part of me is like, okay, yay. But then I'm like, no. Anyways. Lindsay, I wanted to ask you specifically about a Wisconsin basketball player. Her name is Marsha Howard. You wrote an amazing piece about her. Will you Tell us about her and how she symbolizes sort of what this ongoing ripple effect from Kaepernick. Yeah, thanks, Jess. So Marja Howard is a senior basketball player for Wisconsin. And I honestly did not know that she was protesting police brutality and racism during the national anthem until last year when Senator Chuck Grassley sent out a tweet. He is a senator from oh, Iowa. that's right. And he sent out a tweet. <laughs> a, a, <laughs> the, his Twitter is just <laughs> speaking of things that should be in museums and studied. Good Lord. Uh, but his tweet attacked her for sitting during the national anthem during a basketball game against Iowa, Wisconsin and Iowa, both in the Big Ten. And so he said that everyone should express outrage, except he didn't spell the word express properly. Um, He left out vowels, which is really hard to do in the word express. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how Chuck Grassley tweets. uh, I'm sorry. Aside, but it's really important. (laughs) He gets really mad at the History Channel sometimes. Anyways, okay. Focus, focus. So I I talked with her last year, or just through email about that, and and got to know a little bit about her protest and why she was doing it, and it was very much something that was, you know, inspired by the work Colin Kaepernick had done. It was very much she grew up in Chicago, and she said she had lost a lot of family members, a lot of friends to the system, which you know usually means a combination of you know gun violence and incarceration and racism that, you know, people have to deal with, especially in cities like Chicago. And that's why she was sitting like, that's why she wanted to continue to protest. And that's why she wasn't going to stop. And lo and behold, this year, she continued. She sat alone during the national anthem on the bench at every single basketball game this year. And she just, she knelt her her head and she said that she said a prayer during that time when I asked her what she was doing. So she was at Maryland in College Park. And so I got to speak with her a couple of weeks ago for this piece. And one of the things that I'd like to first highlight is the the debate around these the protests have it's gotten so big and so out of control and so distorted and there's so much gaslighting involved and so many talking heads on TV yelling at each other and politicians sending angry tweets and it's been so loud, right? It's been it's just been very loud and very mm-hmm. not about this at all. And so to see her just with her team and then her team all quietly lines up and she just bows her head casually, everyone around her stands up and, you know, faces the the flag. And then at the end, end of the anthem, her coach gives her a fist bump and everyone moves on with their lives. It was very quiet. You know, it was it was just so quiet and such a like a small moment is sounds like I'm diminishing it. And I that's that's not what I mean. It's still a huge thing that she's doing. 
But the fact that within all this debate, within all this chaos, like this is the reality of it. This is her making Mm -hmm. a statement. It's actually very quiet, a very peaceful and a very moving thing that she's doing. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me about her conversation is she kept bringing up Wisconsin as a school is 2% black. (laughs) And she said, I'm doing Mm -hmm. this because I have a platform to show everyone else at my school who's black, who feels like they're facing racism. That they that that I I have their back, that I have this platform, that I'm gonna use it. So I think what's really impressive about what Kaepernick did and what his protest meant to different people is the way it's it's more the way people have individualized it for their situations while still touching on this universal truth. And I think it's so important not just to pay attention to Kaepernick and Reed, but to others like Marsha Howard, like Kelsey Bone, the WNBA player who continued to take a knee during the national anthem all last WNBA season. And I, you know, and we've had her on the show twice talking about her protest but these other ways that these protests are continuing yeah thank you Lindsay. thank you for that work that's amazing brenda what are you thinking about all this well i usually think about young people during these types of things because that's who i teach and get to talk to about these types of things in a calm setting like not a facebook argument or a twitter (laughs) fight but uh an extent facebook is so effective for these kinds of discussions. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. So one of the things that's interesting, I'm teaching, I hardly ever teach about sports, just Latin America usually, and I'm teaching a class called Taking a Knee on International Protest. And I think oh. it's really important to look. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I almost never do that. And it's in the fall. And I'm doing it because of a couple things. First, you know, U.S. football is a way that the world sees a very violent and imperialist nation. And outside of the U.S., people, I have to tell you, are simply stunned at people in the U.S.'s anger towards Colin Kaepernick. Like, they're just like, yeah. this isn't, what is controversial? This is the most violent country. I mean, they read about mass shootings every day and violence against African Americans, and it seems so obvious, right? And so mm-hmm. his his protest also, I think, became a lightning rod for a lot of different things for young people to watch, different forces at work, and for young people outside of the U.S. to kind of think and hear from the African American athletes themselves that they know are symbols of the U.S., but don't often get the mic, you know, besides like maybe LeBron. So anyway, that's just been really interesting. Mm. And I would just say like that, you know, it takes a certain setting and forum to really have a conversation about it. And that that's just that's rare. It's, It's rare to get those kinds of spaces where you can actually see people changing one another's minds because people come at it. It's been so politicized. Thank you, Donald Trump, that it's almost impossible to walk into it with an open mind. But the classroom is one place. And I I really think I know high school teachers have been teaching about it in civic studies and government classes. I know I'm teaching about it. So I thank Colin Kaepernick and all of these people like Marsha Howard for, for opening that conversation for us. Thank you, Brenda. Shireen? Yeah, just another quick thing about allyship around Colin Kaepernick and what that looked like. And one of the things that emerged out of this was that a lot of people seem to forget that the first non-football athlete to kneel was Megan Rapinoe. And I, this is something that came up as I followed this story. It was just that, like, who is also supporting as an ally and who also thought, and I, I think a lot about that as a person of color, 
as an identifiable Muslim woman from a marginalized community, I think a lot about what allyship means and what support means. And that was something that came up in the discussion a lot, like throughout the story for me and still does. What that means, of course, we need to center Black folks 100%. But what does that mean around everyone else and what are they doing with their privilege? And, you know, we saw people like Chris Long, we saw Megan Rapinoe, but Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, who is my president. <laughs> I think that, you know, this, this is something that I wanted to, uh, you know, bring up as well. And I just wanted to put in a request to audit Brenda's class. <laughs> I feel like that'll be granted. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to wrap up this discussion about the ripples of the protest and, and the future of the work around what Kaepernick has started here by mentioning the Players Coalition. And, you know, there's there's tension here. Th- these are NFL players, Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins. We know that there's been tension between them and Colin Kaepernick and, and Eric Reed. They've chosen different paths in which to do this work. But I still think the Players Coalition, they've, they've teamed up with the NFL. They're still doing important work. And we can trace this back to the fact that Colin Kaepernick decided to sit and eventually kneel on the sideline of NFL games. And so the Players Coalition, since it launched in 2017, there was a recent news article at NBC News that we'll link to in the show notes. They've talked about how the players have visited Capitol Hill to talk about different changes to legislation in different states. In Atlanta on January 30th, the article says the coalition announced that it was going to distribute $2 million in grants to six nonprofits in the fight against racial and social inequality, which was made possible because the NFL gave a financial commitment of $80 million, $89 million to the organization. And they also have like directly inserted themselves into important legislative issues. And so two that you can point to directly, they lobbied to raise the age of those entering the juvenile justice system in Massachusetts from 7 to 12. That was successful. And then and if anyone remembers us from the last um, election, Florida, the voters, they voted an amendment to restore voting rights to some felons in Florida. And NFL players through the Players Coalition really worked towards that end. So I think that I, we've just seen the beginning of, of what is possible because of what Kaepernick started back in 2016. And I think that's whatever we have to say about what happened this week with the settlement. That's very exciting to think about. Up next, Shreen's interview with American Ninja Warrior and climbing badass Megan Martin. I'm so excited to have professional rock climber, fitness model, American Ninja Warrior contestant, mentor, and aspiring broadcaster Megan Martin on the show today. Megan is a legend. This former gymnast started climbing in 2001, and in addition to pole vaulting throughout college, she continued to literally climb to athletic feats. As we know, National Girls and Women's in Sports Day is on February 6th, and Megan has partnered with the apparel company to show how she serves as a role model and encourages young girls to stay active in sports through the Show Her What's Possible campaign that was launched on National Girls and Women's Sports Day. I'm so grateful to Megan for being on the show, taking time out of her busy schedule, and talking to me a little bit about baking as well, which she's on her way to be an expert of. Thank you so much for being here, Megan. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Is really climbing into trees with a book actually how you got into <laughs> climbing? I mean, I guess it wasn't exactly how I got into climbing, but I did grow up when I was a gymnast. I grew up climbing trees. My mom actually homeschooled me and my sister through elementary school. So we were required to read an hour a day. 
And I always just thought it was more fun if I took my book into the tree (laughs) (laughs) because it just made it more exciting and a little more adventurous. But yeah, so I guess I, I always knew I liked climbing on things, but I still at that point hadn't even, I didn't even know rock climbing was a real thing. It wasn't until I just randomly walked into a gym with one of my friends and kind of just fell in love with it. That's so cool. And as you were a kid, what was your favorite book? When I was a kid, I read all the Little House on the Prairie books. My mom was obsessed with Little House on the Prairie. So (laughs) I think like we still have VHS recordings of the TV show. Oh my gosh. Nobody even has a VHS player. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. I wonder how many of our listeners remember or know what a VHS is. is. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that was definitely one of my favorite books. And, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder was pretty adventurous as well. And I wonder if I actually kind of got the idea from that because she was always outside running around, like kind of playing with the boys a bit. So yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite books growing up. That's awesome. You are, have been a repeat, repeat appearances on American Ninja Warrior. And that show is just, it's amazing. And your videos <laughs> are incredible and like, wow. Is there a specific <laughs> run that you are most proud of and why? I really liked, actually, my run last year in Minneapolis, the city final, was really fun. And I that was like the closest I got to completing a city final because I had made it to the ninth obstacle before in Indianapolis, but this time I made it further through that ninth obstacle. So I think that, that might actually be one of my favorite runs. Although I do have to say, the first year that I competed when I did the warped wall in my qualifier in Denver, that was exciting. And then that same year, I became the first woman to do the jumping spider in Vegas at, during stage one. And so that was also like a big moment too. So probably those three. It's a toss up. <laughs> so the warped wall, just because while I have you, <laughs> the warped wall, <laughs> it looks to some, it looks easy. But for me, I know it's like virtually impossible, but you've done it. Is it? <laughs> Is it a mental thing too, or just is so much of that course of that type of of circuit, is that equally mentally arduous? Well, it's definitely mental for sure. But I I mean, just coming down to facts, if you're taller, the warped wall will be easier. So I always say, especially for a lot of the women, not all of the women, because there are some women that are like five, eight and above. So I just, it's just not as hard for them either. But if you're like under five, six or five, I'm actually, if you're under five, five, I'd say it's probably a little more difficult for you. So like for me, I just have to make sure I remember to think about it more. And I think that a lot of the women or some of the shorter men have to do that. You just have to make sure your steps are right and you're approaching the wall in the right manner. Whereas when you're a little taller, there's more leeway to like not have to think about it as Mm -hmm. much. Still doable. For shorter people, there's just a little more thought. And you're you're five four, involved. right? I'm honestly, I'm just under five four. I'm like five three and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, about five four. <laughs> so when you're doing that run and in between those circuits, you stop. Like I watched the one mm-hmm. of you in Denver on repeat. Actually, just when I want to get motivated <laughs> to like go for grocery shopping or something, it's I'm awesome. like, I'm going to motivate it. <laughs> and I mentioned this to you in our pre-chat, like my 14-year-old volleyball player watches that to pump up. Like I know he watched it before so his tournament awesome. in Rochester a couple of weeks ago. And so before, before each circuit, you stop and you're stretching a little. What are you thinking in that moment? 
So we get to look at the course beforehand. They take us like through a walkthrough and they explain each obstacle and like the rules about the obstacles. So when I'm running, I'm definitely before I start or when once I finish an obstacle and before I start the next one, I'm trying to breathe and trying to like mentally prepare myself for the next obstacle because I think because it's such a long course, sometimes it's easy to start thinking about things later and you really need to stay in the moment. So I just kind of take that second to stay in the moment and really understand and pay attention to what I'm about to do so that my focus is always present and That way, I think I'm able to be more efficient because the minute you start thinking about something else, it's just so easy to mess up, especially with everything that's going on. I mean, usually it's like five o'clock in the morning or something. So you're exhausted already from not really sleeping in a normal sleep schedule. So you really have to stay present. And that's what I try to do. Do you have pump up music? I'm actually, it's so weird. I don't have pump up music. I have tried that in the past. There, like, I tried this specifically with climbing a few times where I would, because you're allowed to have an iPad and you could listen to music if you want to, but I noticed that it doesn't actually help me. I find it better for me to stay centered to not listen to music, especially before I run on Ninja Warrior, like, say, 10 people before I run. I just continue my warm up. I chat a little bit. Talking for some reason calms me down a bit more than listening to music. I don't know why, which is weird because I love music and I feel like so much of my life does revolve around music because I just love listening to it and it's like fun to sing in the car and like all that stuff. But for athletic stuff, I actually don't use music. It's so weird. I, I find well, it I mean, weird I that think I don't. everyone has their own sort of system. I mean, I'm now using you as warm up to get myself. So I mean, everyone has their own system. But <laughs> so a question about uh, like about the physicality, how long do you stretch before you you climb, not just specifically on the show or, or anything when you're actually climbing? How long do you stretch before or after? I, this is something that in more recent years, I've had to pay more attention to with the older I get. (laughs) Because when I was younger, I didn't really, I could just like not even really do a proper warm up and be fine. But now I'm noticing that it's very important. As I approach 30, I usually get to the gym or if I'm like climbing outside, I probably spend about anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes kind of stretching and like I'll I'll roll out sometimes it depends on like what my specific ailment is at the time too and then when I warm up on the wall I actually kind of stretch on the wall a bit like I'll start warming up on easier things then I'll kind of like hang from (laughs) the top a little kind of because you can kind of like sink in to (laughs) that sounds crazy but yeah you can kind of like sink into positions better to like warm up like your shoulders and your hips and everything and that's a little bit more dynamic because I don't want to do too much static stretching before climbing because it is somewhat explosive at times. And then after I, I will stretch a little bit more for the cool down and a little more static stretching, probably still probably just between 10 to 20 minutes, but um, I'll just do more static stretching stuff. And after a climb, how do you let yourself and your body decompress? Like how do you decompress after like a really intense workout? I usually drink a lot of water And then, so I guess stretching my forearms is something I do a lot because a lot of times your forearms get pumped because you're used, like if you're on the wall for a long time and then I, I just try to relax and drink water, eat some good food. 
so that I can recover for whatever I'm going to do the next day. Is the climbing scene diverse? And what might you tell young girls of color who are actually interested in the sport, but maybe a bit shy about going out? It is definitely over the last 10 years, it has become a lot more diverse. I feel like generally, if you were to walk into a climbing gym in any bigger city, that climbing gym will be pretty diverse, which is awesome. I don't think that that was normal. It's still not very diverse, still getting better, but definitely very different from if you were to walk into just a gym. I started noticing it, especially when I was coaching. I noticed there were more, there was more diversity at the youth competitions, which means that, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you will on the elite level see it even more. The most like diverse ethnicity that you see the most of would be of Asian descent. African American is pretty slim, especially like in the United States, we only have like a couple (laughs) that will be competing at the elite level. Generally, just me and Kai, which is fine. And then also, I feel like the Hispanic involvement has become more prevalent with at, at World Cup competitions. I've seen more people from like Ecuador and Chile and like stuff like that. So that's cool too. And like Spain has always been pretty big in climbing. But yeah, it's just, it's growing and it's at a slower pace, but it's definitely growing. And, you know, there are some ethnicities where climbing just seems to be more natural, like something that, not natural, but something that was more prevalent in their countries and stuff. So yeah, I think it's getting more and more diverse, but it's definitely a long road to it, I think. And I, so like for any young girl who's feeling nervous about it, I, I would, for me, I just never paid attention to it. I just wanted to climb. So I didn't care that there wasn't anyone else that didn't look like me or that looked like me, um, that didn't bother me. I feel like I was used to that from gymnastics anyway. Uh, You know what I mean though? Like I, like there were not, I mean, and that's another sport where it's becoming more diverse, but generally it's mostly a white dominated sport. So I just never paid so much attention to it. And I do think it's cool now though, that if that is something that you're nervous about there are more people to look up to that are doing that and they might look more like you which is cool but yeah I think you should always just go for whatever you want to do and not worry about whether or not you think you're going to fit in I also had a good experience nobody ever ostracized me in any way everyone was super welcoming nobody like nobody else seemed to pay any attention to it either so I think that's why I feel that way (laughs) well it's really interesting you talk about like from Asian descent because Oh, there was a woman, an Indonesian woman who actually wears a headscarf, won a gold medal on the rock climbing wall in, speed, right? in China. Yeah, yeah, the speed, yeah. the speed wall. And it was really amazing was for awesome. me. Like I it was really <laughs> awesome because A, I didn't know that it was, you know, and until I sort of learned more about that, mm-hmm. that it is very common in those parts of the world. But it was so nice to see that because yeah. when I think of uh, a sports that, you know, Muslim women excel in. Speed rock climbing doesn't automatically come to mind. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it was super cool to see that. Like it was just, and because it's not a sport that has, you know, type of exclusionary policies on mm-hmm. what you can wear. And like women can wear what they want yeah. and feel comfortable in as long as it's yeah. safe and they choose. So that was really great for me to see. And I think her name is Aries Susanti Rahayu. So that was, it was really cool to see. And I'm glad you clarified 
that whole thing about, you know, like prevalence in different communities and what it looks like. So National Girls and Women's Sports Day is something that you really believe in and support. And why is this day so important? Well, I think this day is so important to me, especially just because sports have fully dictated my path in life. I've done sports since I can remember, like, I feel like since I started walking, I was basically doing gymnastics. And then from there, I just, you know, continued to do that sport and then other sports. And I just feel so lucky that I had role models that made me feel like this made sense and I could do sport. Like I know there was never a moment where I thought, oh, I should be doing something else. Like it always felt like it fit. And my parents always supported that they I mean, they wanted us all to do sports also. <laughs> my dad my dad went to college for gymnastics and he wanted us all to get college scholarships for athletics. So that was like what his goal was for us. So I think it was nice to have that. And being involved in sports in my teens seemed so normal. But then the more you think about it, that like with that rate of dropping out of sports starting at the age of like 14 – and you do notice it. Like, I mean, we just, or not we, but one of my friends just opened a brand new gym, a brand new climbing gym in Sacramento. And they're trying to figure out how to get kids on the team. But the thing is, you can't just like walk into a high school and be like, hey, do you want to try climbing? Because I mean, high school girls probably won't want to. And high school boys are already playing like football and soccer and baseball. So they're not going to want to. Like that age group is so hard to get involved in sports if they haven't been from a young age. And even if they have been from a young age, they still decide that they sometimes don't want to do them anymore. Where or when sports, I think, are so beneficial to development, especially for women, because I think you feel more empowered because usually you end up being stronger, not just physically, but mentally, because you have to deal with so many different emotions with competing and, you know, training and figuring out that balance. And I think it just helps you overall in life if you can be involved in sports throughout your time of growing up. Definitely. Is there one person you look to as an athletic inspiration in your life? I think my mom has always been really inspirational to me. She was a gymnast. And then once she quit gymnastics, she was coaching gymnastics, but she's always been super active. To this day, she still does like CrossFit workouts. Like that's her thing. (laughs) Yeah. And she's in her mid fifties. Like she's super fit. It's so funny because my dad is also athletic, but it's funny to see how like my mom has always kept up with her workout regimen where my dad is like, he'll go back and forth. He's just like, and he's naturally in shape. Like without working out, he has like an eight pack. It's insane. Nobody gets it. He's an alien. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Like he eats candy at night and he doesn't have to watch his like diet at all. And he's always just like ripped. It's, it's not fair, but it is what it is. But my mom's always been so regimented with her working out. She always, because it makes her feel good and she likes to feel strong. And she always, I remember when I was in middle school, I started going to school in middle school and my biceps were, they've always been pretty large. And I was always so embarrassed at first and I could do more pull-ups than the boys. And that was something I was kind of embarrassed about. I mean, I thought it was cool, but at the same time, I felt like I wanted to cover up my arms a lot. And she was the first person to say, people would kill for your arms. Like you should be thankful that you have them. You should love them. That's what that's how you do all of the things you do. And she made me feel really comfortable about my body. Um, 
so yeah, she's always been really inspirational to me. That's that's so important. And she's so right because I want your arms. <laughs> so I just want to thank you again on behalf of Burn It All Down for being on our show. It was so awesome to talk to you and best of luck with everything with your aspiring commentating on rock climbing and climbing as well. I think that's so great. I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. Climb and in the sports media world where your voice is desperately needed. So I think that <laughs> is is so great and you are a total inspiration. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. We like to call it the burn pile, where we all pile up the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Brenda, what is on your burn pile this week? What is on my burn pile this week is the IAAF, the World Track and Field Governing Body. Mm, boo. <laughs> feel like you know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So uh, South African runner Castor Semenya has now, you know, I, it's been over 10 years that she's been targeted by the IAAF, which has questioned her gender. This is a fight over their insistence that Castor Semenya's naturally produced testosterone levels are too high for her to qualify in their eyes as a woman. They are currently demanding that for six months she take medication to force her testosterone down. People should know if they don't already that test doing that can cause a number of health problems. Testosterone actually, though we associate it with libido, is responsible for so much organ functioning. It's very important. Women have it. <laughs> she will have to run against men, they're saying, if she can't do this. The case is going to be heard from mm. 18 to 22nd of February, and the decision is expected March 29th. This is absolutely outrageous. And for those of you who haven't been following the story for very long, Dr. Katrina Carcasis, who's a friend of the show, we've interviewed her. She's a great person to check out on social media. She's an expert on the case and the relationship between gender and testosterone. And it's infuriating just for two quick reasons. One, because the advantage of extra testosterone has never been scientifically proven. There are journal articles out there by people even beyond Dr. Carcasis who show that the data that the IAAF is using is faulty, that they haven't done it right, and that secondly, the five events that these regulations apply to are not even clearly the ones where testosterone creates most advantage. Yeah, yeah. And no, it's, it's and this is racist. This is so racist. This is so racist. I just don't even need to explain that. It's so very racist. It's about policing women of color. It's about targeting her, oh my God. And just to say yay to the sports associations in South Africa who have got her back, including mm -hmm. the women's national soccer team, the cricket teams, and most importantly, the ASA Athletic South Africa, which is her own governing body, who have come unequivocally to her offense. So I want to burn the IAAF. Ugh. Yes. That's it. Burn. Burn, burn it. Burn. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Brenda. Shireen, what do you want to torch? Thank you, Lindsay, for pointing out this horrible situation that I'm about to burn. I wasn't aware of it. I read this article and I was literally astounded. And just, I think in our Slack chat, there was a series of, oh my God, I can't. Gah! It was like pretty much that. So I'm burning not only the University of Missouri, Kansas City women's softball program, and those in charge of it, but also the entire situation revolving around Coach Greg Betchcora. Now, Batch, as he is known to a lot of players and people, actually felt that he needed to use 
a microwave to warm up his food, which was the brilliant reason he provided when stating why he walked into the change room of naked female athletes. He uh, needed to microwave sorry, his food, friends. Apparently, there was no other microwave anywhere situated but close to the showers where the women shower. One particular player had actually even said that, like jokingly, but was really horrific. He's seen me naked more than my boyfriend has. And a couple of players had transferred away. But oh what the God. university... Yeah, this is all in the steps <laughs> the microwave. article that okay. uh, Well, exactly. And which is <laughs> the brilliant solution to all of this, but that doesn't solve the problem uh. of this creepy, disgusting man. What ended up happening is, and the university in response to this, actually, when contacted for a comment, actually, what they did was provided a document from March 2018 stating that it was a, quote, alcohol related incident, quote unquote, and there was involving six players, but three of those who had actually spoken out and made accusations against Badge. So all the six were suspended indefinitely. And then of what course. happened was one was transferred and the other two were told that their scholarships would not be renewed. So there were basically like isolated and expunged from the situation. The other players who didn't talk about him or get reinstated, they were reinstated. So this is how the university dealt with it. And that is specifically what I want to burn in the program because I think that's disgusting. And then in the meantime, there's other players who were tweeting publicly and it was relayed that, you know, the, the article also alleges that they were told what to say and to say positive things. And I believe that they were gaslit and it's just it's difficult because they're kids and they might not make the wisest decisions. But this whole thing is crappy. And like every time I say microwave now, I want to like punch it because I'm so angry. So I just want to burn all of that. Burn. 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 Mm. Thank you, Shereen. So I missed this when it first happened, but I'm still here to burn it. On February 7th, FC Arizona, which is a team in the National Premier Soccer League, tweeted the following, quote, FC Arizona signs former RLS midfielder Ricardo Velasco to the 2019 season. Team management believes in clean slates and sincere second chances. Welcome to the club, Ricardo. Okay, so Velasco needed a second chance because in May 2017, when Velasco was 23 years old, he was charged with unlawful sexual activity with a minor because he unlawfully had sex with a 15-year-old girl. And just to be clear, I'm going to do the math for you. She was eight years younger than him. He pleaded down to a reduced charge of sexual battery and was sentenced to 45 days in jail and put on probation. He was kicked out of Major League Soccer. In a statement sent to CNN, FC Arizona club owner Scott Taylor described Velasco having sex with a 15-year-old as a, quote, unfortunate incident. We just feel like at some point we need to let Uh, people get their lives back uh, together and learn from their mistakes, not dwelling uh, on them forever. Which, you know, we can all debate what forever (laughs) is. It's only (laughs) the beginning of 2019. Okay. Seeing as Velasco continues to argue that the victim was a liar who tricked him about her age, again, she was eight years younger than him, it's a wonder what he's learned exactly. That original February 7th tweet is now gone. And on Saturday, FC Arizona posted this one instead, quote, after careful consideration, FC, after careful consideration, (laughs) FC Arizona has made the decision to release Ricardo Velasco. FC Arizona wishes him the best of luck in his future endeavors. Still, FC Arizona tried it. Couching, signing an MLS caliber player as some kind of goodwill second chance, and I want to burn that. Burn. 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 
Did they get him a microwave? <laughs> Stop. Okay. Can't have a cold burrito. You know, nothing worse. Than... <laughs> All right, Lindsay, what are you burning? Bring us home. Yeah. All right. Hi, Sky Blue FC. We've missed you the past couple of weeks. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who haven't followed this August, Sky Blue FC is a National Women's Soccer League team that had just abysmal facilities, no running water in their training facilities. Uh, Carly Lloyd taking, you know, ice baths in trash cans like, you know, a high school <laughs> team would. Once again, no running water or hot water in their training facilities. They The, the people were staying in apartments with holes in the wall, comforters stuffed in the wall, and it's just really abysmal stuff. So this was all reported last year by the great equalizer soccer, who uh, everyone should support. Come this training camp, there was still, or come this NWSL draft, there was still no update from Sky Blue ownership on what would change this year. There was a generic, we will tell you good news in 30 days. Well, 30 days came and went, but finally, this week, we got an update from Sky Blue FC via an announcement on their Twitter page. This came on February 12th. It is from Tammy Murphy. Tammy Murphy is the wife of New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who is one of the owners of the team. Nobody has heard from Tammy Murphy basically ever about this team. And all of a sudden, tw- less than 20 days before the preseason starts, controversy swirling, You trout out the woman to try and be the face of everything to make Mm -hmm. things better. In this letter, she says, I have now chosen to take an active role in club activities moving forward. Of course, now they need a woman. Once again, that's going to make everyone not be mad anymore. She does give some vague updates, including a 40% uh, increase in the size of their staff. But the staff was very small to begin with. So don't get too excited. Saying, you know, that there is better housing in place this year and that they are working on better facilities. But there are no specifics in this. There was no accompanying press conference to answer specific questions. Nobody in Sky Blue ownership has yet to really get in front of the media to talk about this. And we know nothing about Tammy Murphy's history with soccer or owning sports teams (laughs) or anything. We just know that she's a woman. Training camp starts about two weeks or excuse me, actually the Sky Blue preseason will start in about two weeks from now. So time is running out to see specifics here. And I just want to burn the fact that we still don't have concrete answers and the fact that they're trouting out the woman to kind of be the shield in all this. Burn. 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 After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our Badass Woman of the Week segment. First up, our honorable mentions. Shoutouts to all the women playing in the LPGA's Australian Open right now. Congratulations to the tennis women from France, Romania, Australia, and Belarus, who all have made it to the semifinals of the World Group at the Fed Cup. To Michelle Smith-McDonald, who the Women's Basketball Coaches Association announced last week as the recipient of the 2019 WBCA Mel Greenberg Media Award for her nearly 25 years covering women's basketball at the collegiate and professional levels for some of the nation's largest media outlets. Congratulations, Michelle. To Elena Myers-Taylor for being the most decorated women's bobsledder in U.S. history, Myers-Taylor and breakwoman Lake Quaza won the IBSF World Cup bobsled 2018-19 Lake Placid over the weekend. Amazing. 
to Yale women's hockey team, who clinched this year's Ivy League title with a win over Brown 8-2. To former Burn It All Down guest Kia Nurse of the New York Liberty, who just wrapped up a season playing for the NWBL in Australia with the University of Canberra Capitals, who ju- and just won the league championship. Well done, Kia Nurse. To Sydney FC, who is the winner of Australia's W League Championship after beating Perth Glory in the final 4-2. To North Carolina A&T athlete Kayla White, who just ran the fastest time in the world in the indoor 200 meter at 22.82 seconds at the Tyson Invitational. That is, how do humans move like that? Okay. <laughs> to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute's Lavissa Salander, who broke the women's hockey NCAA Division I record for career saves, she now has 3,811 for her collegiate career. What? How long has she been in college? <laughs> okay. To Boston University women's hockey team, who won the local Boston Beanpot Tournament a big deal in Beantown. To Nunavut women's curling team, who won its first game in the main draw of the National Women's Curling Championship, the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Shout out to everyone who's competing. And can I get a drum roll, please? Thank you. Our badass women of the week are the cheerleaders from North Carolina A&T, who are currently protesting the way one of the cheerleaders was treated after reporting to their coaches that she had been raped. In a letter the young woman posted on social media, she said, quote, my coaching staff failed to do what's in the handbook, which is report what happened to me. NCANT reacted to the letter by temporarily suspending the team while they investigate, which meant that the cheerleaders were not officially part of last week's home basketball game on Monday night. So instead, the women, the woman and her teammates wearing all black walked to the game and sat in the same section they normally would cheer in during basketball games. The woman also did local media calling for the coaches to be fired. We want to honor this woman and her teammates for pressing their coaches and their schools to do better on sexual violence at North Carolina A&T. You all are truly badasses in our book. Okay, what's good, y'all? Lindsay, what is good with you? It is a President's Day weekend. And, uh, not usually thankful for presidents these days, but goodness, am I excited to have a day off tomorrow. And that's about all I can do this week. But um, yeah, it's been, February is always a rough month for me. I don't know. I think it's, you know, the cold and the hibernation and the darkness. So I can use this extra day off. And I'm excited that March and that seeing you all is on the horizon. Yay! Yes, that's always, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, Shereen. <laughs> okay, so it's so hard for me to be quiet about things and keep secrets. <laughs> you did a good job, Shereen. Did. did she? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I did. I did. I really did. I'm so excited about New York City. Obviously, seeing all of y'all in person, or like a pajama party is what I'm envisioning. So what's keeping me really excited is the rivalry series. The Canadian women's hockey team is playing the U.S. women's hockey team, which is, as we know, amazing as always. So the first game, which was held in London, Ontario, Canada, lost to the United States. 
Goal by Hillary Knight, one nothing U.S. Next game on Valentine's Day, Canada one four three. So it's Sunday morning. We're recording, and the next game is tonight in Detroit. So I'm very occupied by that, and adding in, you know, this weekend is NBA All Star Weekend. I was very happy to watch Hamidou Diallo win because I just think he's great, and uh, you know, he jumped over Shaq. The, so the, the dunking, the dunking, the yeah. dunk contest. That he jumped was over Shaq. He jumped over Shaq, <laughs> and I was like, that was amazing. As one does, and yeah, I was, as clearly, one does. I was pretty pretty excited yes. by that. It was also really happy to see Candace Parker and AJ Wilson as judges for that and that was pretty great and uh, so that's we're going to watch I'll probably watch a game tonight it's a long weekend in Canada yeah long weekend so looking forward to New York City in pajamas yay Brenda you have something good for us this week well it's really good that Shireen doesn't have to keep any more secrets because <laughs> it was not difficult <laughs> to rein her in so I <laughs> to say the force of nature can now be unleashed on the world. So I am so excited, like everyone to see everyone in that this is coming together and so appreciative. Uh, besides that, I t- we're recording Sunday, as Shereen said, and I am going to the battlefield of Saratoga, which is a very nerdy and fun oh, wow. thing to do on a Sunday. It's in upstate New York, and there's a bronze cast of Benedict Arnold's. Um, boot and um, it sounds (laughs) dry perhaps to some but for me it's a very exciting revolutionary history place awesome i love that that's so cool of course i'm very excited it's about new york it's funny because we have known that this is happening for a while now so it's like we're very excited (laughs) Um, but we've had like a month to process this the thing that i wanted to mention this time and he'll probably kill me for doing this but Last summer, Aaron started to learn how to play the guitar, and he is now going to the School of Rock, and he's in this adult 101 performance program, and he's actually going to perform next weekend (gasps) with them. He's the lead guitarist, and I just... I don't know how exactly to express this, but it's really something I've known Aaron for 20 years. It's half of his life, half of mine. And it's just been something to watch him pick up something new at this point in our lives. And just he's enjoying it and he is really learning it. And I don't there's just it makes me want to go learn new things like it's been very inspiring. And I have loved that so much. And I can't wait to I keep joking, I'm going to throw my bra on stage next weekend. And he keeps begging me not to do that. Um, So we'll see how I handle it. But that has definitely been what's good in my world recently. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor and share it with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. Like, literally. Uh, You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash burnitalldown. And don't forget, we will be live on Friday, March 8th at Columbia Stabile Student Center in New York City from 2 to 4 p.m. as part of the Critical Sport Community Symposium hosted by Hofstra and Columbia. We hope to see you next month. That's it for Burn It All Down. Until next week. And I'll suck you.